Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I did not see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no no night there. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great streets of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much. Good morning. It's uh, quite easy to find the passage this morning. If you're not used to finding difficult passages, go to the back of your Bible and work forwards, you'll get there. Uh, We're in the last two chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21-22, describing this vision of John and the culmination of it, the climax of it. And and that is not just for those people who are in the first century. We've come to the end of our look at Revelation over these six weeks. I hope it's inspired you. It might have mystified you at times. Say, what is that about? But I hope it's got some kind of picture in your head that God is sovereign, God has a purpose, there is an end point, and it will be for your blessing. So don't worry. It's okay. You're going to be there if you've trusted the Lord Jesus. And ultimately, uh, all the evil that was being thrown at the first century church, which is why this book was written, uh, that's going to go away. Uh, So if you're being persecuted, it's good to know that Satan is a loser. He doesn't win in the end. It's all going to be all right in the end. But also, also, this is exciting because this is also the end of the Bible that we've got to this morning. It started with creation. God's people, in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. That's what Eden's about. God put his people there, Adam and Eve. And sin came through disobedience, and God has dealt with that, and all his people are now coming to his place again. It is again God's people, in God's place, enjoying God's blessing. With just a tiny upgrade from a garden to a city. God's son was sacrificed to atone for sin. That was the cross. Now the people are in his presence for eternity. And if you know and love the Lord Jesus, that's where you'll be. That's exciting. That's also life-changing. That's also a thing which should change your worldview. 
it should change the way you think about the world that you live in. Now let me try and unpack <coughs> one or two things that are in this. We start with a new heaven and a new earth, chapter 21, and uh, we see that there's no more sea. Now does that mean God hates the seaside? Um, I don't think so. But if you go back to chapter 4 and verse 6, you see a sea of glass. Now the sea of glass separated the perfection of God with the fallen creation and fallen creatures. There was this sea of glass that blocked the two out from each other. But now all the people around are righteous and justified. They are with Christ. So we don't need the sea anymore. So there is no more sea. We are the people of God. The dwelling of God, verse 3, is with men. God is living with his people. And John sees this holy city, this new Jerusalem, holy because God's people are perfected for eternity. Jerusalem, because it stands, as you heard from Sue, as this symbol of where God's people come together, where they're gathered. And the bride is beautiful. Now, I still remember my bride. She's here this morning, so she, at this moment she'll be looking down at the ground, anywhere near her. Um, but I do remember, and I remember the moment when I turned around and went, Phew, she's all right. Or words to that effect, you know, it was slightly higher level than that, but it, that's what it was like. Isn't she gorgeous? God says that to you about the church. Isn't it gorgeous? The bride that comes down from heaven. God has prepared for himself the church. In Hebrews, we read that Abraham, those, what, 4,000, 2,000 years before Jesus, was looking for a city which had foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And the Old Testament is full of longing for this God's final solution. It's impossible to overemphasize this, and if I say it once or twice this morning, forgive me, but it's impossible to overemphasize that we are, we are waiting for that time. If you're in Ephesus in the first century, and you're waiting for that knock on the door, which means that you're about to be taken into custody, or if you're the gladiator about to go into the arena and face a hungry lion, or if you're a Ukrainian soldier and it might be his last day on earth wherever you are there is the hope as the bride comes down and God sees his perfect city church people gathered and it's a whole new world order verses 3 and 4 give you these things his dwelling is with me. He will live with them. They will be his people. He will be with them. He will wipe away every tear. No more death or mourning or crying or pain. We have a completely new order here. Which is just so different to what we endure here, or what we go through. Now, there are joys in this world. Don't minimize them. But there's also pain. There's, there's things that you wish were not there. But that will be the new order. Suffering will be gone. Illness. Premature death. The persecuted church will be glorified. All our brothers and sisters in many, many countries will be sat there in the presence of God and it will all have gone away. No more. God's people in God's place enjoying God's blessing. 
Now, we must be clear, and there's a bit of controversy around this next point, but is it a new place or is it a recreated, regenerate place? I think it's the latter, personally. It's a, rec it's a recreation, it's a renewal. Romans 8.21 says, the creation will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. And Jesus in Matthew 19 talks about the renewal of all things. And we shall be living in a place that looks new. It will be unrecognizable from its fallen days. It will be a renewed creation. We will not remember, it says, the former things. But we will be in the presence of God. And so it will be because, in verse 6 it says, it is done. It is done. Now that, of course, recalls the saving work of Christ on the cross when he said, it is finished. Now that was because the whole business of what the cross is about, saving people from their sin, that is finished. But when God says here, in verse 6, it is done, it is done. The whole of God's purpose is finished. He has nothing more to say or do. He has drawn his people, the people that he loves, to himself, and that's the end game. And I'll be there. I hope you will be too. We see God's wonderful, refreshing grace here too. In chapter 7, verse 17, we saw the Lamb, Jesus, leading his people to springs of living water, that precious image which goes back to Ezekiel's temple vision. It goes back to so many places where Jesus, of course, talked about living water. And this is for those who overcome, the word that was used so often in the seven churches chapters, chapters 2 and 3, to those who overcome. Now, does that mean that you've got to be every day living a wonderfully triumphant, glorious Christian life and you're really hitting it and everything's going brilliantly? No! That's not real. Christian life can be tough. But to those who overcome, in the end, having trusted in Christ and in his power and in his love and his ability to get us through this life, we overcome, and it's for those people that God says, here's a river that will refresh you. And this magnificent thing about the holy city, now please don't get on the, um, you know, the artistic thing. I'm not a great artist, so I'm a bit biased here maybe. People paint pictures of heaven. They're not, I don't think they're helpful. Because what we have here is, is imagery which is not talking about geography. It's, it's talking about relationship. It's talking about people. It's talking about who's there. And that we are with Christ. Do you remember Babylon? I'm sure Mike painted this vivid picture for you last week. Dressed in purple and scarlet. And called the abomination of the earth. But our city, verse 11, shines with the glory of God. Each image tells us about how we will spend our eternal future. God's redeemed, beautiful people. And you heard again in Sue's little video, we'll be surrounded by a high wall, a very popular image in those days. All cities built walls, and they were security. And the whole thing is measured. And we have the foundation of the tribes of Israel and the apostles, those twelves. There's twelves everywhere in this, in this passage. And the city is measured by God. Now look, God does not make mistakes about who's there. And when he marks out his huge city, you heard about that, 
and the gates are there and the people are there and that is dead right for the redeemed people of God nobody gets left out nobody misses there's not, oh sorry there's not room for you pal none of that it's just as he intended it to be and to emphasize this, this beauty and this structure and this idea that God's people will be gathered, he uses this image of precious stones. Again, through the mind, it goes back to the days of, of Aaron. And it's just that that was a symbol of Aaron going into the presence of the Lord. He took God's people with him on his breastplate with all the stones. He said, here I am representing God's people. And here we have it again. God's people in God's presence. No need of a temple. In our day, the, the building is the gathering place, but we won't need that then. No need for lights. God lights it up, verse 23. And all the nations will be there, Jews and Gentiles. No privileges, no special places for any ethnic group. Only those whose names are written in the book of life. So if you have any hint of racial prejudice in your body, it's not acceptable in heaven, so get rid of it now. That's what it's teaching us. And because it will be a beautiful, renewed creation, perhaps we should challenge ourselves on how much we care for the world that God gave us and whether we're doing enough. And so he's painting this picture of beauty, of quality, of God's presence, of relationship, of being there and who's there. And chapter 22 finishes the book. We're left with more pictures of the blessings that we will receive. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you think, perhaps I'm the only one that's ever been this way, uh, I think I may have done something wrong. Did I actually hit that car? And should I, should I confess it? Have I, have I done something wrong here? Am, am I going to be approached sometime in the future and say, oh, you did that, Paul? God says here, there is no more curse. Now the curse was what happened to Adam and Eve and has tainted and affected our lives from there on. The curse of sin. There's no more curse. Can you just begin to imagine what the world is like without sin? Anything that is evil, wicked, subterfuge, anything that you can think of that's nasty is gone. The curse, there will be no more. The curse of sin that brought pain. The tree of life, which reminded Adam and Eve of God's creation power. Ah, well, that's back too. And there were rivers, and here we've got the river of life. Eden had rivers, but this has the river of life, and... Adam and Eve talked to God, but they had not known the saving grace of God and they'd not met the Lamb either. My friends, the picture this gives me of heaven, it's absolutely fizzing. It's absolutely vibrant. Get rid of this nonsense about sitting on clouds and playing harps and all this sort of rhubarb. It's terrible. Now, I can't play a harp anyway. It looks the most complicated instrument in the world to me to play with lots of pedals and things to go like this with. And forget it. It's not there. What is there is life, activity, 
relationship, service, power, light, beauty, and Jesus. Do you remember what it was like um, when we were all on Zoom? Now, Simon, I loved your face on Zoom, but the real thing is much better, mate. No, it's okay. I'll get the money for that afterwards. Uh, it, it really is. But didn't you think when you came back in and you saw somebody, oh, that's, that's Hayden. Oh, that's, what's your name again? Sheila, isn't it? That's right. Uh, you know, all sorts of people that you, you saw their face, you thought, oh, great. And, and you know, some guys that I know and, and love. They, we, my friends, will see God's face. We will be there. And we will see him. And I will have a name, not the mark of the beast, like those who have been judged. But I will have his name on my forehead. Jesus' child. Right there. And he will know me. And faced with loss of life, redundancy, pain, ill health, we have this wonderful promise, yes, of God's Holy Spirit with us, every second of the day we know our sins are forgiven by the blood of Jesus but still we have to live in this fallen world which is why this picture that Revelation gives us the finished work of God is so precious what an encouragement to the persecuted church of the first century what an encouragement I hope to us as we struggle with inexplicable wars and cruelty the lasting effects of a pandemic, all the things that the cost of living has raised with us, all these terrible things. And yet, how do we keep going? There's a kind of repeated phrase at the end of it. And I, I think we've lost this. And I, I, I hesitate to, um, to mention it again. So I've, I've told this story so many times. And those who know me are looking down and saying, oh, not that one again. But I had a friend in Bristol, a dear, dear friend of mine who led a church in Bristol. And every single morning, he'd get up, he'd open his window, and he'd say these words, Lord, is it today? Is it today? Remember, I am coming soon. And the Puritans who used to say, let's live in the light of his coming. Now, I think we've lost that because we're so embedded in the everyday, which is important. But remember, I am coming soon. Easy to say, well, Lord, why don't you come back now? Can't you see the state the world's in? But friends, there's still work to do. There's still people who don't know Jesus in this city, in our street. There's work to be done until he comes. But he's coming soon, so let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. And that vision that God gave to John in Revelation should, should drive us to think of maybe today where we can pray for another human being. God's plan to draw his faithful people together help first century believers. And it should help us to keep going in this fallen world. But as I close, I just wondered, as I prepared this, I've only put this little bit in last night, because I thought, well, I ought to say this. Will you be there?
Are you sure? The offer is clear. Those who've tried to follow Christ, not got it right all the time, blown it on so many occasions, just like me, who've asked his forgiveness of their sins, who are pledged to him as Lord, you will be there. Whatever you feel today, and you think life's tough, hard, rubbish, stressful, if you have trusted Christ, your sins are forgiven, and your eternal future is beautifully secure. However you feel, whatever you've done can be forgiven if you confess it. God's prepared a place for you. See you there.